Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. How would you like to win two tickets to the Super Bowl coming right up? Vigit is doing a promo code NFL0344, so apply there. And also, if you want to support the show another way, under the Vigit app, use promo code HUH2021. That's HUH2021. And for the Super Bowl, two tickets that you're trying to win, it is NFL0344. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. And today we have on Alex Sorchetti, fellow writers over on Overtime Heroics Hockey. How's everything going? Oh, I'm doing great. How about yourself, Joe? Doing pretty good, Alex. So we got some word today from notable source publicly, Alan Walsh, who really put something out there about NHL owners who seem to be dying away from watching. Yeah, it seems to me that a lot of the owners want to shy away from Bettman and distance themselves from him. You know, there's been a long time coming for this. The fans haven't been happy with him. And I can see where in a few years' time, there's going to be some change. Possibly even within the next season. We don't know how long it'll take yet. But fans aren't liking him, and a lot of other people aren't happy with him. So we'll have to see. Well, I'll tell you, um, prior to the recent CBA amendments, uh, there were a few people behind the scene that said to me that, you know, o- owners aren't feeling so warm to Batman with the way he almost had a lockout, it seemed like. But legally, he couldn't because of the TV deals and a couple other things where, you know, there already was a CBA, but there were amendments. So there couldn't be a lockout on either side. So with that being said, do you see let's just say theoretically new potential commissioners like for instance do you believe that the the owners now don't want to be around the bill dailies or the gary bettman's who do you think would be replaceable for them honestly i think you have to start to look at some of the gms in the current organizations even because some of them have gotten really good in the nhl they've gotten really good at the business side of things They've done well with hockey operations, and they might be ready to take that step up and look towards a commissioner spot. So you've got guys who have been in the game for a while. You've got a young gun like Kyle Dubas, even, who they're really good at the business side of things. They could potentially take that spot and do well with business. Otherwise, you might start to look towards some ex-players who have big names, such like a Wayne Gretzky of... You want someone who knows the game. You want someone who you'll get the fans to rally behind, even if it's just as an interim type thing. Taking one of those big names where they know the game, they know what the players want from a commissioner, they know what the teams are looking for, might not be a terrible idea. I don't know how long that could last, though, because we don't know how long a player could last in the business side of things. Well, you mentioned Wayne Gretzky. You know, I remember he used to coach the – Arizona Coyotes for a little bit and then died 
you know, a Hockey Canada guy, you know, being someone who would find the talent, narrow it down for Hockey Canada rosters and stuff like that. And he found a niche that way. But now he's on TNT with uh, a guy like Paul Bissonette, who was nowhere, anywhere close to a good of a player as he was. But uh, still, I mean, you know, people always recognize the name Gretzky and they'll always associate, you know, the positive light. But back to the the commissioner part, I find that he would be a really good uh, ambassador for the game and he would relate both well to the fans and the owners. Do you think the same way or do you think a little differently on that though? I think he could do a really good job of relating to both the fans and the owners, but I think the other part of it that we might not be seeing from Bettman right now is that he could also relate well with the players because he's been in their shoes. He's seen what they've seen. He's been up against opposition like they've been, and he can kind of understand. So if the NHLPA were to come to him with issues or if they were to come to him with something, he knows what it's reasonable to expect and what he can do. And so I think he gets that piece even that Bettman misses right now. And you talk about, like, the things that Bettman missed out on. Like, he screwed up three times as commissioner where there were two and a half lockouts. If you count the 2012-2013 season – I remember that one where they lost half a season to a, a, la- a labor strike that time. And they were able to come back in 2013. Now, do you see anyone not named Kyle Dubas or Gretzky that could be a good candidate? To mitigate those kind of lockout situations? Yeah, and, you know, someone in general who you think would be best suitable for the league honestly i think you've got to start looking towards who's got that business acumen and who can really get into that position where they can talk to the players they can talk to the other members of the league and avoid those lockouts so honestly i think if you wanted to go for someone who's had it all you go for a john tortorella but at the same time he could be extremely controversial at times and so i know they'd be hesitant to put him in. I know he's currently reporting and everything, but he's looked strong as a coach. He's done well. He's been good at getting everything from his players, good at negotiating his way around the league. He could potentially help negotiate out of those lockdown situations, and he could potentially help to de-escalate things to some extent as he's a known name. He's a known variable in the league. And a lot of the owners already know his name and know how he is. So I think if they were to get to a position where they were trying to talk their way out of a lockdown and talk their way out of these situations, a guy like Tortorella probably wouldn't be too bad to have on your side. Now, this may sound a little funny and a little controversial, but I kind of think that it would be interesting to see Alan Walsh as someone who would be an interesting commissioner candidate because owners already know him players already know him and he voices his opinion and he does he does have a legal background so he does have a little bit of everything and i think that's one of the reasons why that he should be considered 
even though he's made some of the public statements about the owners. And source of mine told me that he, he's a bit hesitant that anything happens unless, you know, the owners say otherwise. You know, I think someone like Walsh could potentially do a good job. Um, I think there'd definitely be a fair bit of outcry about it at first. But I think, honestly, at this point, anyone would be getting more approval and doing a bit of a better job than Batman. And so, honestly, giving him a shot wouldn't be a terrible idea. Um, other people that could take it, honestly, if they have that legal background, is pretty good. But... If you wanted someone to really be controversial about it, you grab Pierre Lebrun and you say, <laughs> put him in the office. And oh, dear Lord, that would be public outcry all over the place. Well, he he's a really good reporter, though, when it comes to the inside scoop. But I really like the way he puts a lot of the stuff from behind the scenes publicly uh, without, you know, saying who it was. And I was watching a little bit of that hockey night in Canada segment with uh, with Ron McLean and the other lady who was on, you probably know her name, talked about how the NHL follows certain things, but they don't lead on stuff like social issues like Black Lives Matter or stuff like that. And it's usually a team thing that has to do it. Um, do you think or know there's someone who would be a great leader in those categories that the NHL could do something about and improve the name, the brand. I think honestly, to start getting that improvement and improving their brand improving the inclusivity. I don't know if you've noticed, there have been some ad campaigns going on right now about hockey is for everyone. And you see yeah. those whenever you're watching the sport channel and it's got PK Subban and a bunch of other players in there that are all, Hockey is for everyone. I think if you wanted to go inclusive, you've got to get a voice in there that, you know, he's pro or he or she is probably going to be someone who can represent different people. But I don't know if you need to introduce them as the commissioner or if you need to introduce them into a position that is more targeted than the commissioner on that inclusivity. Because ultimately, the commissioner's job at some point is going to get bogged down with a lot of the running of everything and all of it, where if you bring someone in who's going to be focused on getting that inclusivity and in creating that positive culture, you've got to have a different position just for them so that they can focus on just that. You know, you talk about um, people in different backgrounds with, you know, these high, you know, ticket jobs. You know, Kate Madigan and uh, Megan Duggan are both on the Devils uh, hockey ops and uh, draft and uh, player development uh, staff. And they have such high responsibilities. And they're the, the first two women to actually be part of the Devils, not named uh, Amanda Stein when it comes to uh, beat re beat reporting writing so for for them as a NHL team it's a huge step in the right direction but there needs to be like you know more inclusivity of other women in you know other NHL roles as well as people in other backgrounds 
Of course. I 100% agree with that. There needs to be some more inclusion there and there needs to be a lot more to it as well. And I think you look at even going down into some of the university leagues where they have coaches in the women's game right now and that are also women. You get coaches like Lisa Haley where she's played and she's coached nationally. She's done great jobs everywhere she's been. I think if you started including people like her in the league, and you started giving them the jobs that arguably they're qualified for, they've got the knowledge, they've got all of that, then you might see some real improvements in that inclusivity. And so I think that could be a huge step forward too. There's another person from the NWHL who I actually spoke to before, and Anya Packer or Anya Badalino, whoever you remember her as, she's the she's now the GM of the Metropolitan Rivers, which used to be tied to the New Jersey Devils. And I think, you know, someone like her with both a player background and a uh, business side, you know, she used to represent the NWHL Players Association. And I can see her, you know, potentially down the road being a good candidate to be part of the NHL and something like that. Um, I would like to see the NHL partner with the nwhl in a way but at the same time you know we need to have a strong leader at the top meanwhile we can't have the old same old boys club like that hid these dirty secrets like in the kyle beach case you know i think there's definitely been a lot of situations right now where it is definitely an old boys club and we just saw even today uh sportsnet put out a report uh stating how there was issues in pittsburgh as well with the uh wilkesbury scranton penguins where there was another sexual assault of one of the coaches wives and so that situation got swept under the rug too. And there's mm. now this big situation about it where they're getting a lawsuit ready. Reportedly, it's going to be even targeting the owners of Mario Lemieux there. And those are big names that are getting Oof. hit in this. Even the current GM of the Minnesota Wild is one of the key focuses of this lawsuit. And so Bill Garon. Yeah. He's and I a- think uh, he's <laughs> going to be serving some... He's going to be feeling some pain here as if he's genuinely involved in this uh, sexual assault allegation. We've currently seen a GM lose their job. We've currently seen a head coach step down all through these sexual assault allegations and that there was proof for them, obviously. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's taken seriously like it needs to be. And I think he's going to start to feel some pain from sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, about some you know high profile people in their uh jobs being mentioned in these uh reports now i never really had any high hopes for the minnesota wild going further into the season because you just never know with some of the players performing an 82 game season but if things change and you know, if things go the way they look, they are with Bill Garon, we could be seeing a lot of shifting around. Oh, for sure. There could be a lot of change coming and uh, the league could even be changing drastically at this point. 
because again, they've got this culture that it's this old boys club. And so it could be seeing a lot of change in the way the league is operated, could be seeing a lot of change in the culture. I think more than that, we're going to start to see some personnel change and we're going to be hearing a lot more of these stories coming forward that have been swept under the rug for so long because the people who are being harmed here deserve justice for what was done. And so I think they're going to start realizing there's space for them to come forward and society is listening to what they have to say. And so I think once they start to come forward more, there's going to be more and more changes happening in the NHL. And we might need to see a clean sweep straight through of getting rid of everyone who started this or who's perpetuating this old boys club, because you'll start to see that a lot of them were involved in sweeping it under the rug. And a lot of new people are going to need to come in to fill those roles. And you talk about these new roles and the new era of stuff coming through now one of the things i think about is that if the owners don't you know take action i can see the fans of those teams take action by withholding their money from ticket sales and you know giving any revenue and unless there's some sort of movement now to me that's what i call a monetary strike and if teams don't realize that they don't take ownership on something on a uh, on a socially moral perspective, you're going to see your bottom line drop. And I don't care if your teams have your team's owners have deep pockets, but your owners are going to want to see you know ticket sales go up, it, it, even though things are slightly improving through an endemic. You know, I think there's definitely a lot of that that can happen and a lot that can be said about that. And I think in that monetary strike, I believe wholeheartedly it's not just going to be the fans that are starting to do this. I think the sponsors are going to start to go, the fans are going to go, and the players aren't going to be happy to stay there. So I think it's going to be really hard to get a team there with this reputation that'll still play hockey with high-value players and a fan base that actually shows up they probably won't even be able to keep the lights on for that long if they actually start to lose people like that. And then you got the Olympics coming right up in February-ish and, and for two weeks. So now you want to, now the owners have to realize if the fans and players aren't happy, you got to cater to both sides of the aisle. And if there's going to be a change at the helm, like, both on the the NHL GM side to changing the guard of the old boys club and moving on from Batman and Daly, there's got to be something to be improved. And we can't have the same old status quo. People hate status quo, whether it's sports or politics. It's It's got to change. Exactly. I completely agree with you on that. You know, there's got to be some kind of change happening. It's going to be coming soon. And... Honestly, if they don't see it coming already, I don't think that they're uh, looking towards the future here because it's coming like a massive wave about to crash into a building. It's going to happen. Yeah, because like for me to see something like this in 2021 where, you know, things are supposed to be professional, but not like you and I both have jobs where they say, you know, 
no sexual harassment or anything like that, or, you know, there's repercussions. But it seems like these guys from the old school days are starting to learn the hard way that we, the normal people, have been knowing this all along that when things like this get hidden, they're going to have to get, you know, held accountable eventually. Yeah. And I think they're definitely starting to realize and learn that you've really just put a cork in a bottle that was full of gas and shaken it. That bottle's just going to have that gas expand until eventually it explodes. And so I think right now they're starting to realize this bottle's going to pop if I'm not careful here and that they should have just let it out long ago and let it be deal with then because now you've got so many more issues and so many more heads that are going to end up rolling because you knew about it and swept it under the rug. And then I was listening to uh, Elliot Freeman's 32 Thoughts podcast and they talked about how Donald Fear and the Players Association have moved forward on the uh, private investigation uh, with a firm from Chicago. And I wonder what's going to happen in this investigation, especially with Kevin Dayoff's name being mentioned. And it seems like Bergevin is not really much of a candidate in this case who was included with the Blackhawks and I don't know exactly what's going to fold though. You know I think in full honesty there's a lot that I don't agree with out of all of these things and the biggest one here is that they're doing private investigations. I think it should fully be understood this is a criminal offense we're talking about here and it should be dealt with as that like it should be dealt with as such. Because it's criminal, and if anyone else in the world were to commit this crime, there wouldn't be a private investigation into it. It would be, the police are involved, you're being taken out of the situation until we know more, for the safety of the people around you. Because ultimately, we don't want to see more people getting hurt. And what's ended up happening here is... I don't know if you believe in it or not, but a lot of information can be kept under that rug and a lot of different people that, if it were a police investigation, likely would be interviewed, such as Bettman, refused to be interviewed because they were the ones who ordered the um, investigation. And so they decide what goes forward from it. They get the report themselves and then they put forward what they want to put forward. So you got a guy like Bettman who didn't get uh, investigated in this Chicago Blackhawks incident where he could full well have a hand in it as well. And no one would know because he didn't get investigated. Like to me, when I listened to Bettman talk, it sounded like he just pretty much gave a word salad. Like he just gave a little bit of everything, worded it a, a different way that made it sound innocent, but gave some lawyer talk, but it really didn't sound like he was fully confident in what he actually saw. It sounded like when he spoke, he sounded like he was a bit more troubled. And I know when I listen to a guy speak out loud like that, he's trying to cover something up in his tracks. Now, I mean, we got all these, you know, NHL, you know, public insiders like a Darren Drag or Pierre Lebrun, you mentioned Lebrun. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if more, you know, of these things became more public in the next coming months. And who knows? I mean, there's probably a lot unfolding now. And Oh, yeah. I mean, I wholeheartedly believe throughout the rest of 2021, the start of 2022, we're going to be getting a lot of information coming forward. <coughs> like even just this week, even just today, we already mentioned the uh, Scranton Penguins situation. We already know there's more information coming forward. You've got more people getting more comfortable in talking about these things, and it's creating even more space for more people to come forward in the future. So who knows? You might get guys coming forward who are their coach abused them. You might get guys coming forward who are uncomfortable with the way things are. And that's ultimately what has to happen, because if we want to see change, eventually we've got to see that the past all comes out. Yeah, it reminds me like a couple of years ago, Akeem Alou was um, abused verbally by what was then coach Bill Peters and uh, if I remember Calgary with the Flames. Mm-hmm. And you don't always think about it until someone actually puts it in the public sphere. Like for me, it's like, why in all of places like Calgary was there something like that? Like, you know, you got to realize, you know, the iPhone didn't come out until 2007. And then Twitter didn't necessarily become popular until like 2010-ish. And now things in 2021 are starting to leak out a lot faster in this information age. Now we're starting to see the new generation of uh, younger players and fans realize before their eyes that, they shouldn't always have to trust what um, the big shots say behind the scene unless, you know, an insider points it out in an interview or something. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you honestly can't know everything. And you've got a lot of situations here right now that are just completely, like, unless you're reading for hours on end about it, you're going to be missing some amount of information. And I think we can't have everything coming forward all at once. And I say that more so out of a place of if you want to do it right and you want to do it justice, they take time. And so even from a reporting standpoint, if you want to make sure that your source is 100% okay with everything, telling you everything you need to know, and that you're getting the story 100% right, you've got to take the time to do it justice. And so I think we're going to see the information come forward, but I think it could take time to get those stories right. And it it sounds like over time that the more we realize it, the more of the dots will be connected to the right people and the right moves will have to be made it's pretty much like a criminal detective game where, oh, it's this person. And then, you know, this is going to be a spot that's going to be filled eventually at the professional level. Now we just talked about ownership. We talked about GMs. Um, We're looking at, you know, with team USA, my country, we have to replace Stan Bowman. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if 
Tom Fitzgerald or Ray Shiro or someone else, for that matter, were candidates to take that spot to fill in for the Hockey USA, uh, USA Hockey uh, GM job. I mean, yeah, to fill in for the GM job, there's no questions. A lot of those guys have got to start to look to fill that position for the time being, even in just an interim capacity. I think they could even have a situation where they might have the assistant GM currently. Um, his name slips my mind, but which team? Uh, for Team USA, uh, Van Beesbrook. Uh, yes. Yeah, he used to he used to be with the Devils. And so they could have, uh, actually, it's Paul Holmgren, or was Paul Holmgren. He could step back in. Um, Bill Guerin was named the assistant GM for the 2022 U.S. Olympic men's team. Which yeah, that doesn't sound so good right now. Doesn't sound so good right now either. They could end up having to have Holmgren step back in mm-hmm. and take over a position because you got Bowman, who definitely won't be working in the NHL anymore, and Garen, who also probably won't be working in the NHL much longer with these allegations coming up against him. So wow. I could see where they might need to clean house and go with a new uh, GM system there as well. Yeah, it's going to, like you said, it's going to be a, a clean house. And then I don't know how teams will look, but then we got, you know, NHL games tonight, you know, Devils at, at the uh, the Ducks tonight, and then your team is I the Hurricanes, forget. and we've got uh, the Blackhawks playing against them tonight, and I'm Oof. fully honestly expecting it to be a confrontational game, but I'm also expecting it to be another win for the Hurricanes here because the Blackhawks have not looked good so far this season. I mean, they beat the Senators for their first win of the season. For them, that's a stepping stone game, but I don't expect, you know, Chicago to be winning their second game versus Carolina. Like, their forward group and their goaltending is much better than Chicago's on paper. I mean, when you look at it from the history of everything, Marc-Andre Fleury, historically one of the best goalies in the league, definitely could have looked to do a good job, but... Once he got to Chicago, it's like the defense in front of him doesn't work for him, and he's just not playing well. Then you got Frederick Anderson with Toronto. He wasn't the greatest goalie. He comes over to Carolina, and all of a sudden, he's regaining his form from back when he was in Anaheim, regaining his form from his early time in Toronto, and he's looking solid. So I'm thinking, even with that loss of Dougie Hamilton, who obviously went to the Devils. My um, team. they've started to look strong throughout and they've started to notice a lot more depth in their cores of everything. Their centers are just pure depth here. Uh, They've got so many centers. They're starting to play them in different forward positions, including Martin Hs, who's playing on the second line and I believe playing on the right wing right now because they've got Svechnikov on the left. They've got so much talent. I think, Going forward, they could look to be serious cup contenders. I mean, you know, the, we all talk about the Metropolitan being pretty deep. And, you know, I, for, like for me, when I look at the Devils, like even without Jack Hughes, if you look at the way they are, like they're still pretty well built down the center. And they've got really reliable defensemen. And Bernier's looking sharp. And, you know, I don't expect Wedgwood to be the – 
the second goaltender I expect to see Blackwood back. He's already got his first shot of Pfizer in. So within like a couple of weeks, he'll be fully vaccinated, but he could be playing any day now. And if Nico Dawes can clean clean up a little bit more in Utica, I mean, Devils are looking pretty good at goaltending. I'm not worried about the goaltending position like I did last year, but I am. Got you back. Sorry about that. <laughs> the joys but, of online uh, reporting. <laughs> what did you see on there? Uh, my computer froze up. That was a fun bit for me. But I was going to say for Dawes especially, I can see where he's stepping up from the OHL. He's looking pretty solid. He looked pretty solid in Guelph. I can see where for the future he could make a good starter for the Devils, but not quite yet. He just needs a bit more time to develop. I can see where once Mackenzie Blackwood gets the fully vaccinated status and is good to go, I think he steps back into a starting position because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't expect Bernier to be doing as good as he is now, and I don't know how long it's going to hold out. I Well, I'll say this, like, Bernier has a totally different defense, and this is not an uh, an offensive remark to the Detroit Red Wings team that he was on last year. But in front of him now, it's it's a lot more reliable and much better structure because you have Graves, you have Hamilton, you have Siegenthaler, to just to name a few, and you have Ty Smith. So yeah. you got some reliable defensemen, and yes, Smith did have a a bad pass in the third period to Boone Jenner, but really, you you got a lot of these young guys who are starting to learn their own system uh, for the first time under a full season. So they'll just recuperate together, and they'll just be able to fix each other's game. But I expect the East to be the toughest conference in the NHL, the Metropolitan that is. And it's going to be a dogfight for the whole remainder of the 82 season. Honestly, I can definitely see where that's going to be a big fight point is going to be when you're coming into that Stanley Cup time, coming up against those teams from the Metropolitan is going to be difficult for any team. Because right now, even, you got the top of the Metropolitan being the Hurricanes, and then all the way at the bottom, you have the Penguins, where, yes, they've had a lot of injuries. And with Sidney Crosby just coming back in, they could look to get back up there. But, arguably, the Penguins are now the weakest team in that division, and yet you've got so many strong names in there right now. Even when you're looking at the Atlantic division, you've got some strong teams in there. The Detroit Red Wings even have surprised many people this season with how well they've done. The one team that's surprising me with how poor they've done so far, though, has to be the Montreal Canadiens. You're looking at them. They're bottom of the table. They're even below the Ottawa Senators. I think they had a rough start to their season. They might be able to bounce back. But I'm surprised to say they won't be using Cole Caulfield to do that. Yeah. New Jersey took their time with Alexander Holtz and they, you know, they evaluated it properly, bringing up uh, Mercer instead. So for for them to leave a sharpshooter down in the AHL a little bit longer, I find it to be a, a better outcome. So I look for a Holtz to 
do what is correct versus what the Habs have done over the years with Kokan Niemi as a, who was a center for them. But you don't like the Habs should not have to rush Cole Caulfield. And I've watched Cole Caulfield play for the USNTDP with Jack Hughes. So, and Trevor Zegra. So you want to not have to rush a young winger like a Cole Caulfield. I mean, ultimately, you want to not have to rush any of the young players these days because there's so much pressure on them with the new aspects of social media being so heavily involved in the game and getting so in there with the players. Uh, But it's a lot of pressure for a young guy going into his first season in the NHL to put up points, and I think that can get to a lot of players if they haven't had enough time in the AHL. I think it was the right move to put Caulfield back into the AHL. They've got enough depth depth already. They've got Hoffman who can move either way on the wings. And so I think ultimately it's going to be a good decision for them that they move him. I mean, you know, you look at all these young players, you know, between the Devils and the Hurricanes. And I know the Rangers look pretty good in goaltending, but you just never know what they're going to do if they were to move on from another player. Like, I know the Rangers are second in the Metropolitan, but we're in an 82-game season. We're not in a two-game season. Anything can happen in an 82-game span between American Thanksgiving and March trade deadline. I think uh, for sure there's going to be some changes coming to a lot of different organizations. And I think one that could really surprise people is going to have to be the Rangers just by how much youth they have in their system with even one of the best defensemen in the league right now. And Adam Fox, who could potentially see himself moving around a bit as his his new contract for next season looks like it's going to soak up a lot of cap space. And so to make up for that cap space, they're either going to have to offload Fox or offload some other players so that they can keep their system growing. Yeah, I've actually, I use cap friendly a lot. And if we look at cap friendly right now, you're going to see teams with the current cap space. Like you, you talk about the Rangers, they have a projected cap hit of $72.66344 million and projected cap space uh, right now is 7.362156 and current cap is 8225873 But if we were to look a little deeper on the Rangers, um, let me try and look into their... I mean, if you're looking right at Adam Fox right now, Currently, his contract is for $925,000. They acquired him from the Canes. He was on his ELC. He's done great. Then they signed him to a $9.5 million per year deal. That deal will automatically take them over their cap when the next season rolls around. So they're going to need to make some moves to free up at least a million dollars in cap space. Like, for instance, like, they already have Nils Hoglander for, I mean, the thing, like, the thing is, the next season, they're going to probably have to move one of Nemeth or Lindgren 
Jacob Truba, who's one of their other best uh, offensive defensemen, is making eight million dollars, and so you're looking at that. Um, they that's a, that's a minimal seventeen and a half million dollars out of the twenty five million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in twenty two twenty three, and the cap's not going to go up, go up that much or at all. Yeah, no, the cap isn't really going to move much, if at all. And so I can see where for sure Ryan Lindgren might be the contract that they look to offload because he's the younger player. He's probably going to be easier to get some good picks for because a lot more teams are going to be interested in him than a Patrick Nemeth where he's older, closer to retirement, and arguably could be looking kind of out of form to some extent. I can see where that Ryan Lindgren could end up moving and could end up going to a team for some picks because again, New York just does not have the cap space to play around with after this season. And and you want to know something? I hate to sound like uh, an anti-ranger, but uh, that contract to Panarin and uh, the one to Zabanajad are starting to add up and it's going to be biting the Rangers for the next like 22, 23 to 26, 27 season. If the Rangers can't go deep in the playoffs or into the playoffs. I mean, you're given a lot of those contracts to a lot of guys who are up there in age. Like Artemi Panarin is 30 years old. He's going to be having some struggles once he gets into some of the new, uh, new guys who are going to be able to play faster than he is. Once he starts to get injured, there's going to be some issues. And so I can see where, from a perspective of wanting to inject some youth, they might, again, look to offload Artemi Panarin to another team, even though he's been playing fantastically these past few seasons. Currently, they just aren't making the playoff push that they need to make, and Panarin's contract is an absolutely massive one, taking up 14% of their cap space. I was just going to say, it's an albatross. And it's, it's one that they just can't take right now. Like, I understood like that summer they wanted to go absolutely high on and Fitzgerald wanted to go get him. But, you know, Panarin chose the Rangers over any other team. And that's where he wanted to be. That's what he got. But at the same time... Gordon at that time handcuffed himself into a pickle and now the the Rangers GM is like do I really want to deal with this guy meanwhile the Devils Carolina are starting to sneak up on us I mean it's not even a situation of they're starting to sneak up on you they're starting to just completely take you over and so I think you either got to look to change something and get some trades going, or you got to look at maybe bringing up some of those youth players and starting to look at yourself as a development team rather than a serious cup contender. Either way, I think you're going to end up offloading some players. You're going to end up needing to free up some cast space, grab some more picks, and you're going to start to see some changes in that Rangers lineup. Because I'll tell you from a devil standpoint that being hurt and having issues that's not good because who and that was a was also dare I say his name Nail Yakupov 
<laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> I mean, I had a whole back, but I couldn't believe I had to say it. Like, a guy that was that well, you know, like, media blasted and overly hyped and just, you know, had a lot of bad stuff going on. Like, can't really perform and he's injured and trying to perform. He gets injured and just seems he's never found his footing. So, I hate to crap on the kid, but it just seems like the Rangers, you know, just they could have gone with someone else. I mean, Capo Caco, I got to admit, he's looking like one of the really great prospects to come out of his draft year. Uh, you've obviously got Jack Hughes and Kirby Doc that have both done really well as well. Um, but I think all three of them have faced injuries recently and all three of them could see a great future ahead of them as long as they can keep developing and keep in the game. So I think avoiding those injuries is going to have to be something that they aim to do. I mean, it's not easy to exactly predict the future, but like, you know, the Rangers are lucky enough to have Alexi Lafreniere to stay healthy, but it's not like he's lighting up the world on fire, but you just don't know with what he's going to be able to do without Kako around. And with what is Panarin going to do if he, you know, starts slowing down? Like, will that hurt his production? You know, I think with Alexi Lafreniere, everyone expected a lot out of him last season because he was one of the hot players coming out of that draft. He was, no matter who you were, you were saying Lafreniere going first overall. <clears throat> There was no debate about it. Lafreniere would go first. And so I think a lot of people expected a lot from him as that captain of their Mooskies and being the first person since Sidney Crosby to win some awards there. I think that a lot of people expected just far too much. And so his season kind of looked stunted to a lot of people. But yet, when you look at his stats this season, he's looking pretty okay. He's looking like he could do well going forward. And that's just, he's going to need that space without so much expectation on him to do well. And I think if you bump him up to that first line and have him playing the role that Kako was playing, there might be too much expectation on him and he might not be able to develop into his own player. That's one of the reasons why it's hard to pull in a first overall pick to the NHL level right away. I mean, I don't care so much about the streak of a first overall pick making it to the NHL right away, but you better be damn be sure that next time someone drafts a first overall pick that they are ready to be developed in the proper manner. Like, I would have let Lafreniere get one more year out of uh, the QMJHL, but that's just me in a nutshell. I mean, if you're looking at it, this year we had Owen Power go. And he's not playing in the NHL this season. He's sticking to where he was, sticking to his development. And he looks like he could still do an amazing job. He did great with Team Canada, and he looks like he can keep doing great things when he does eventually come into the NHL. But I like the move by Buffalo here to let him stay and develop his game a little bit more before calling him up. And so he's the first player in a long time to not go straight from that draft into 
an NHL playing position. And so I think we could start to see a bit of a trend here of teams just letting the players feel their way in gradually. Dip your toe in the water, get to feel for the game in the preseason, and start to develop in those camps, and maybe you'll break it into the NHL roster. Just because you go first overall doesn't mean you're a shoe win for a spot. Well, like, like I would always say is like, just because like, you know, we picked, um, and Mercer at 18 and Muhammad Doolin at 20, it doesn't mean you just, you know, say, Oh, we're going to have you play this upcoming season. Yada, yada. Like, I'm glad like Holtz hasn't made his NHL debut yet, but I know he's not that far off now. Like his time horizon with Utica looks like it's getting pretty short in a good way because he's tearing it up. And the more he tears it up, the more he's ready to join the NHL level at, uh, on the devils. But Dawson Mercer earned it rightfully. And he's proving that, he doesn't need to worry about developing a little bit more. He's proven it at all levels from junior to uh, world juniors to the AHL level. And he's proven at the NHL level. I've seen him in a couple of games already and on TV. And to me, he doesn't have anything more to really prove in the next two more games that he plays at. You know, I think Dawson Mercer is the perfect example of a prospect brought up right. He went, he's changed his game a bit. He used to play out on the wing. Now he can play in center or out on the wing. I like that about him here. But he wasn't a shoe-in for a spot in the World Juniors. He proved that he deserved that spot and helped with the output. He was one of the best players in Team Canada there. He didn't necessarily go and say that right away he would get his spot in the AHL, but he proved that he deserved it. Same with going forward into the NHL. He's always been that person who's been the dark horse of it where he's not expected to get in and then he does it because he proves that he deserves it. And I think that's a lot, that says a lot about the type of player he is. And I think it says a lot about the career we can expect from him. Yeah, and for me, like, I look at Carolina as an example. Like, they've done a really good job, like, not rushing Marty Natchez. And, you know, they allowed the other Sebastian Ajo to come into his own. And it just seems like every other year they bring up at least one guy from each couple draft classes that they bring in. And then I know you you didn't want to trade away Yanni Kuokinen, but, you know, it, he was going to be a really good player either way at the NHL level. Yeah, and I think you definitely see Carolina being that pillar of youth development. Of You've got players there like Andre Svechnikov, Sebastian Ajo, Marty Natchez, and now Seth Jarvis just coming into the NHL where he's performing, but they aren't going to make him a shoe-in for a spot at every game. When he does get a chance, he can prove that he can play, and then maybe he'll get that permanent spot. But they had him in the AHL, they've had him, they've watched him in the WHL, and they've let him keep developing his own way as he goes along. And I think that's done a lot for his career as well, and done a lot for him to want that spot in the NHL rather than feeling like it's just his. 
like one of the things I noticed about Seth Jarvis in his draft year, like he he he, he reminds me a lot of Alex DeBrincat, but with a little bit of the flair of Mitchell Marner with the stick handling. And to me, like he was one of those guys that you just can't pass up on. Like Winnipeg could have easily gotten him, but Carolina took him rightfully. And he's just another guy that I see Carolina doing well with. And Carolina picked someone else in this recent draft. I think was Atu Ratu. Uh, yes, they did. Um, they ended up selecting him, and even he, with Ratu, he has ended up staying pretty low down. There hasn't been any expectation that he's going to make it into um, into their lines at any point soon, but he has definitely shown that he deserves to get drafted in that first round. He's shown that he deserves some time and that he deserves to be able to build his way up. And I think that says a lot about how they're going to be doing things from here on, is they're not just letting players go and say, I'm here, give me a spot. They definitely have gone and said instead that, you've got to show it. Show that you're worth this. Uh, And so I can really see them coming forward and doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is just in per the Beaverton.com on Reddit. It says, Bettman promises NHL will never allow sexual assault scandal to leak to media ever again. Like, really? We'll never allow it to get to the media? Yeah. It, that, that's I'll disgusting. reread it. I'll reread it. Per the Beaverton, the Bettman promises NHL will never allow sexual assault scandal to leak to media ever again by Luke Gordon Field. That is disgusting. If it's a genuine statement from Batman, that is absolutely disgusting, and he does not deserve to be commissioner anymore. Those type scandals deserve to be put out to the media so that they can be known and that there's something happening because now he has no sense for accountability whatsoever in that any of these are going to get better. Yeah, I I I'm making it public. You know why? Because we're both writers, and we need to hold the higher ups accountable. And in the opening in the opening paragraph, it reads: In the wake of revelations concerning the horrific sexual assault of Kyle Beach and the Chicago Blackhawks, subsequent cover-up nhl commissioner gary bettman promised players fans and sponsors that the nhl would never allow such terrible for kyle and i can assure him and everyone watching that this will never happen on my watch again and by i specifically part where a reporter was able to get enough information to force an independent investigation that ended up making us look bad. No press access means no press access, added Bettman. 
That's just absolutely wrong. I think the people have a right to know about these situations. And I feel like if the press hadn't gotten into it, nothing would have been done ever. And it would have just ended up spiraling down and making Beach's life worse. I think Beach came forward. He went to the press. He made it so that something would happen. And I think that's the right thing because it's already been shown that under Batman, nothing's going to happen otherwise. And you know what? There's got to be some people standing up to this because, you know, with this kind of information out there, and I found it on the NHL Reddit thread, I just think, you know, you, you got to hold these people accountable. And it's just disgusting. Like, if something like that happened, you know, to any other position of power or any business, there would be someone held accountable ASAP. Of course. And I think that's important, you know, and it's one of those things where you've got to hold someone accountable for it. And I think it's just absolutely gross that they didn't hold someone accountable for it when it happened with how many people knew. Even Jonathan Taze knew about it after the playoffs was done. He knew something happened and he didn't do anything. And to me, that's just wrong. I mean, to me, it's frustrating and, you know, at the same time in a bad way because it's gone along long enough and I would hope that you know like early in the podcast I hope to hell the high heavens that there are some extra owners that will say and withhold their power from Batman and it seems like Batman is bluffing and I don't buy this whole entire, like, you know, this won't ever happen again. It always seems like there's going to be someone going to come forward regardless. Of course. You know, there's going to be people coming forward and there has to be people coming forward. Now, I hate to turn it back to our previous discussion about draft picks for the Carolina Hurricanes, but I have to make a correction on myself here. Their second round first pick was Scott Morrow. They had given up their first-round pick in a trade, and so Scott Morrow was the first player they took. Still looks like an absolute stud throughout training and everything, and is being given that time to develop into his own. Yeah, he was a, if I remember correctly, Morrow was a a high school hockey, or he was going to be a really good college hockey player with a two a really good two-way game with a lot of offense. And I think he was with um, Shattuck St. Mary, if I remember correctly. Absolutely. That's where he was at first. And then now he's still developing. And I've been, I've had my eyes on this player for a while now through different scouting. And I can honestly say he does look like he could make an impact into the NHL. Because I'm not sure if you watch, but, um, I actually subscribe to Will Scouch on scouching.ca and I do watch my own stuff, but I tend to like what he covers both analytically and on the side of just, you know, tracking what players do because, you know, half of the game is the eye test. The other part is projecting what the player is going to be. Of course. And it's a big part of it. You got to be able to see something along the lines of what is this player going to be able to do? 
And there's a lot that can be said about how they do in their younger years versus how they're going to do in the NHL. Just because they do well there doesn't necessarily mean they will do well. There are certain qualities, though, that you can look for that say, this player is good. This player's going to do something. And I think Morrow has a lot of those qualities that say he's going to move on and he's going to do great. And for, like, for me, when it comes to players from overseas, like I tend to lean a little bit more nowadays with a KHL. And I, I know a lot of people have crapped on Shakir Muhammadulin, the left-handed shot for Salavat Yulayev. But to me, when I watch him, when I watch him talk, he is very like straight. He's a straight shooter, but he what he wants. He will be a leader someday when he gets to the NHL level for the Devils, and he seems to be on track to be coming over by the time the KHL season ends because he's only there for the rest of that year. You know, and I think there's a lot of players that definitely need to be given that chance from the KHL, definitely need to be given that chance in general here. And we could be seeing a game that doesn't focus so centrically on players from Canada, America, and Russia, and that does start to grab more players from the rest of the world. There's definitely been talk already, and a lot of it has been heard about getting more farm teams out there and bringing more people in from overseas. Because a lot of those players have some good skill. Yeah, I'm. I've noticed like over the years. Yes, well, I'm of Polish and Lithuanian uh, heritage, so my great grandparents came from those countries on my dad's side. So when I grew up watching Dinah Zubris, I uh, saw that he was from Lithuania. Kasparaitis came from Lithuania, but you know these guys. Uh, go back home or they spend some time back home and they want to develop hockey in their country. And now you see them having a higher level of hockey development and sure they may not be the superpowers now, but look at what Switzerland was. They used to be that one team, you know, in the world juniors, you would, would steamroll. They're not that team anymore. Um, when you look at, teams like Kazakhstan yeah they're going through that rough spell but now they're going to be the the future superpower meanwhile you have teams in in Asia that are developing of course and you've got a lot more players that can be coming from a lot of new places definitely I'm starting to think if you can get ice somewhere and there's enough interest in hockey there should be teams there and there should be those kids starting to learn and develop because this is now becoming more of a worldwide game and it could be the next beautiful sport. There's a lot of skill, a lot of different players that could get involved and I think it could be a new way for the future. And actually, you know, I was looking at an IHF uh, Instagram account and uh Colombia beat Puerto Rico in a uh, in a match, and for me to see that, it me it means a lot to see, you know, the game growing in other parts of the world, and I'm sure there are a lot of Americans, Canadians, and Europeans who live and breathe hockey, and maybe some Russians that you know they move abroad and they miss playing, but they want to grow the game. To me, that's a sign of, you know, they believe in it and they wanted to keep growing. And 
allow other cultures to develop into it. And not to bring it back to the devil stuff, but Jonas Siegenthaler said that, you know, he is a Swiss citizen, but he also has uh, Thai citizenship to Thailand through his mother. So him seeing uh, Thailand develop on the hockey side is a positive light to see um, in the near term and the long term for the game. You know, that's for sure. We could see a lot more people coming through the system that have those different citizenships. And I mean, you even look at it, look at it and you got teams now that are putting forward like a full finish line uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes where you've got players. None of the first line is from North America. And I think you're going to start seeing a lot more lines like that where none of them come from anywhere that the NHL takes place, but yet... They've heard about hockey, they've been involved in it, they've looked great, they've gotten their shot, and they're going to take it. And I think we could see a lot more players like that coming forward in the near future. Like, for me, I've noticed over the years, like, Slovakia's gotten a little bit better with uh, having players drafted, check the, the checks have most definitely been growing a little bit more. And yes, they haven't done so well at the World Juniors in the past couple of years, but they're they're starting to roll out more and more players. And I tend to like the way that the hockey craze culture is in Slovakia. I've I've been to Slovakia in uh, Devin and Bratislava, Bratislava being the, the capital. It's you, I was biking one time and I saw there was a bus with a hockey goalie on it. And it was like a promotion. I'm like, Wow, this country absolutely advertised what they what they are very passionate about. And I remember Tomas Tatar saying recently, if he's not, you know, doing anything hockey wise, he's watching soccer for Slovakia or anything else. So really the, you look at these uh smaller countries, they may be small, but they're very passionate. Of course. I mean, if you wanted to look at Soccer and hockey, you've got, uh, in the Czech Republic, you've got Petr Cech. He was a famous goalie, played for Arsenal, played for Chelsea, absolute legend in the game. But he'd come and he'd play for his national team in net whenever he could because he'd play hockey and he'd be a goalie for them too. He had the insane reflexes, the skill set matched of you had to be able to get your net covered and you had to be able to move from side to side pretty quick. And so I think you could see a lot of players like that where they have multiple sports, and I think that's just going to help them develop. And, like, um, back to this Central Eastern European region of Europe, like, I know from being Polish-Lithuanian, we have the common friend in Belarus. And Belarus has gotten, you know, to be back on the map, and they they got that kid, not just Igor Sharangovich, but then you had that other kid, uh, the Vancouver uh, Canucks got they drafted um, who uh, Daniel. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. It's not Daniel Missule. I'm I I gotta look it up on Elite Prospects. Anyway, it'll, Daniela Klimovich. And okay, yep. He's a, he's a sharpshooter, and he's just like Belarus's to, like top sniper. And he and he played in the Belarusian league and not at the KHL level. And I'm surprised he didn't play the KHL. 
Honestly, I think there's going to be a lot of player development and there's going to be a lot of different changes like that where you see kids who didn't play in the KHL or didn't play in any league you'd even know the name of coming through because they've got the skill, they've shown it, and the scouts were just in the right place at the right time to know that that kid had that skill. And I remember, you know, well, because Canada had certain rules about playing in Canada, I believe it was Medicine Hat or Red Deer. And instead, they had the games in, uh, I think, uh, Dallas, Texas, if I remember correctly, where they had the uh, the junior tournaments or some other U-20 tournament, U-18. Okay, yep. That's that's where that's where Klimovich was scouted, and it seemed like at that tournament that his scouting, uh, the the people who scouted him liked him a lot more than like I predicted Klimovich would have gone between four and six, and he went within the first four rounds before the fourth round. Yeah, and it's it's definitely that you're going to see players like that happening more and more. Um, I mean, you've got players nowadays even who are a shock that they're going so late, but you've also got players where it's a shock they're going so early because you've got guys that were predicted to go in the fifth round that are now going in the third. It all is depending on what the team needs, who they like best, and what's going on with them. And, like, you know, people always say, oh, the second day of the draft, it's – not as important or whatever. I know I know nowadays with the the virtual stuff it's a lot longer, but maybe in a couple of years it'll be a lot quicker. Like the old days where you get up on the mic and the next couple of seconds it's done. But until things renormalize, there'll be more things to uh, you know get back to a new normal when it comes to the draft in person. Of course. And I mean, you look at it and you've got the second day of draft. They only do the first round first day. As long as my memory serves right. And you're looking at it in the second round. You've got players like Sebastian Ajo that went in the second round and now are looking like some of the best scorers in the league. And so you've got a question. Is that second day of the draft really as uh, unimportant as some people say it is. I can see where by the time you get to the sixth round, you're kind of mm-hmm. like, eh, are any of them really going to make it into the NHL? But you get kids like that who they slip through the crack in the first round. That second and third round is going to be crucial because there's still a lot of talent up for grabs there. Like for me, I I looked at a lot of the goaltenders and Kirill Gerasimyuk and uh, and another one that I I've mentioned before uh, before I joined Overtime Heroics Hockey. I I actually did mention uh, a couple other guys in a couple of other earlier articles. Um, you might you might have seen them before, but um, I saw some of them go a little sooner than where I actually projected. And uh, Philly took one of them. And I think it was Gareth Simiuk, if I remember correctly. But I was pretty high on a couple of the KHL guys. I mean, you're looking at it, and you've got these goalies that went later in the rounds and everything. And 
they're proven to do better jobs than some of the guys who went in that first round. Like Yaroslav Askarov, everyone predicted so much of that kid. And then we saw him in the world juniors where he just couldn't hold on to his stick to save his life. And now you haven't heard anything about the kid coming up. I mean, he could be, you know, doing his and getting back to what he was doing before. But it seemed like, you know, he, he was being a little too erratic with his stick. And to me, it's just, you know, some guys have a tendency of getting a little uh, overly excited when I take a look at certain players. But at the same time, Nashville might end up hitting a home run. You just never know. Of course. You never, ever know. And it's one of those things where you can't know until they start. Yeah. I'm actually double-checking, and he's currently with Avant-Garde Omsk, his, his youth team. Now he's unsigned with the National Predators. Currently, as we stand, he, he played in two games in the VHL with SKA, uh, Neva St. Petersburg and played in five games already with KHL, uh, SKA St. Petersburg. Yeah. And I think you're definitely going to see him trying to recapture his game and prove to those Nashville scouts when it counts that, Hey, I'm here and I'm able to play still give me a chance. And I think that's going to be important to him. And then yeah, you've got me- a guy like Capo Kakinen last season, he came into the league red hot and, all of a sudden, he's this kid who, out of nowhere, came into the league, was drafted in 2014, 109th overall. And now, he's looking like a stud and looks like he could start to look for that starting position. And you sometimes think to yourself, like, could he be up for a Calder, you know, Calder Trophy uh, candidacy if he keeps up the way he's playing? You know, I think it's a little early to call him a Calder candidate, but at the same time, I think if he keeps going and he keeps putting up the performances that he puts up, he could get one in his uh, in his season with enough games played. Like every uh, me there, and you know, like there, like there are certain you know players that different. Um, prop up not so much but you know you'll find like different people will hear about so it's basically something that we will all see happen I like to see like those players that come out and why they're really worthwhile Exactly. I think those players that come out of nowhere end up being the ones that we like the most because they're the ones that it's like they're the underdog and they come up through this as the underdog and all of a sudden they're doing great and we love to see that storyline. And one of the and one of those teams like you like people sometimes forget like Troy Terry's actually a really good player. Um, who played for Team USA, and he's got really good stick handling that makes him a very dangerous player that most people sleep on. 
I mean, the other one that a lot of people slept on that I'm again going back to goalies, Connor Hellebuck. The player, like, he went 130th overall. So many people slept on his abilities thinking he wouldn't get picked in the draft and he just wouldn't play. He played with the Manitoba Moose. He was doing great. Went up to the Winnipeg Jets. And all of a sudden, it's just going gangbusters for him. He's now considered one of the best goalies in the league. And yet, he wasn't drafted anywhere near the first round. There's there, there's always going to be a case that when I watch, you know, so on so called film, because nowadays we have YouTube, I still call film, but when I watch different players, like when I watch Trevor Zegras as a center, I get flashbacks of Pavel Datsyuk with the stick handling and the spinoramas and the passing and just the unpredictability. And I wrote in my article about the Devils and their California swing that they have coming up tonight, going in through the next couple of games. I always think about what certain players remind me of, and Zegris reminds me a ton of Pavel Datsyuk, who was my favorite non-Devils player growing up. So... That's what he reminds me of, and he's just the type of guy you just salivate over. I mean, of course, you got a lot of players like that where you look at them and their play style reminds you of that past player. But I think, and I hate to sound like a broken record, I think we've got to let them come into their own play style as well. We can't say they're the second coming of some other player. Let them be the first coming of themselves. And that's true, and... They're not going to play 100% like that, but you're going to see that they remind you a bit. They're going to be, like you said, they're going to be their own player. I wouldn't expect, you know, Jack Hughes to be 100% Patty Kane. He's going to be his own style of player, but he's going to have a blend of a little bit of someone else's game, but he's still going to be his own guy. Well, of course, it's like, you can never really expect these days for a player to come out and be entirely original in their play style. There's been so much done and so much influence through watching hockey as you grow up that you emulate the moves of someone else and you start to make them your own, that there's going to be some kind of inspiration in there of some other player. Yep. Can you hear me? I I got back now, so. You cut out for a moment. No worries. The the joys of the digital age. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, we we talked a lot about from what's going on in uh, the NHL uh, mishandlings to player development to so many other things. Like, what are some things that you know Andrew and Connor are going to expect you to be writing pretty soon this week? You know, I think there's going to be a lot of expectation around the writing of, well, I've taken the storyline before of how the NHL has failed its players. I think there might be an expectation that I'll make a second piece about that. 
um, because there's been a lot of new developments in just how badly they have failed their players and how badly they failed their stakeholders. Uh, so I think there could be yeah, a lot yeah. of expectation about that. And I was going to say, for like, for me, I would look into something about why the fans and the sponsors should protest a little bit more uh, with the way the you know Batman's been mishandled and you know putting certain things out there and being able to hold accountable. But I guess that's something that you're already onto. Of course, it's something that I've been looking into and something that I've been trying to work out a good piece on because it's one of those things that you just have to do it justice. And to do that, you have to get enough research into it and enough reading into it. And then it's one of those things where you can never say for certain that you've gotten everything right, but you want to be sure you get enough right that it's true. Yeah, this that's why we say we're always going to take our time and not report right away because you just don't know at times but things were you know nailed it too soon exactly it's like with the john last playoffs i know so many people who wrote pieces on it saying he'll never come back he'll never be able to play again and all that type thing and then what do you know started the season this season he's back in playing hot and he's doing great and I think if they had just waited a little bit longer to get that report and see that this is what the injury actually is, they could have seen that he'll be back next season, he'll be good and ready to go. It's the same with Shea Weber. A lot of people right away said, oh, he's going to be back in a couple of months because that's just what you expect from Shea Weber. Now it's looking like he's going to end up being retired because that injury is serious. And at this point, it doesn't look like he's going to be able to come back. Like if I had the similar fate that Shea Weber's at, and I feel like ooh, eighty-two game season, I'm at this age and I'm feeling like this, and I don't feel exactly like I about you know not being as were. Reminds me of Toby Keith's song "I Ain't as Good as I Once Was." So that's a song that comes into my mind when I think about a certain player when they just aren't there anymore like of course and it's one of those things where i think especially in the case of shea weber as much as i was a born to be leafs fan my parents are still leafs fans and everything i've got to admit shea weber has been one of those players that it's impossible not to like him and it's impossible not to admire him when he's on the ice i think in full honesty with the age and he's in if he wanted to end his career now, he's a definite shot for a Hall of Fame position. And honestly, it'd be better than coming back at half of what you were if you keep your legacy intact of being the great legend that you were before you came back. Yeah, for me, when I grew up watching the Predators, I always remembered seeing uh, Shea Weber and, of course, the recently retired gone now he's retired but you you looked at lap shot of a bomb he had and to me was playing against you 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 were hoping to hell that 
you are going to get killed with that shot. Honestly, I have no idea how goalies didn't just want to get out of the way of that shot. It looked like it would hurt. He had an absolute cannon of a shot, and he will forever be remembered for some of the hardest slap shots in the league. Well, Zdeno Chara beat him by a couple of miles an hour, so... I mean, of course, and Zdenichara, the man, he's going down in history for many different reasons. For one, having that hardest shot in the NHL, two, being one of the oldest players to play in the NHL currently, and the amount of Stanley Cups he's won. There is not a doubt in my mind that he will go down in history as one of the best players to play. However, one of the hardest it's also hitters. the concern of for now, he's looking up there in age and. Is it going to be going forward to have him continue to play? Yeah, I mean, this could be his last season. It could be his second of last season. And, I mean, his wife, you know, he has to talk to about, am I going to go through, you know, another year, especially through an endemic once again? Or should we both retire, you know, should I retire from the NHL and, you know, move back to Slovakia where, you know, th- life is much, you know, different. And I've seen that, you know, it's a, it's actually cheaper than Carolina, no offense. But <laughs> even though it's with the, the EU uh, Euro. So really, I benefits of him going but I don't if he wanted to move back to Slovakia full time but still had like a dual citizenship to the U.S. after being in Boston and New York for so long you know I can kind of see what you're saying here and I don't fully disagree but I have to say it'd be a crime for him to fully leave the NHL he's one of those players that you know he's got the mindset and he's got the eye if he was to go into scouting or coaching, he'd do an amazing job. And so I think it'd be a travesty if he just left the NHL altogether. I think he definitely could be involved in some great things still, even after retiring as a player. Was I there? Yep, I'm here. I was just saying how I think it'd be a travesty for uh, Chara to fully leave. So I, I would find I would just find it a lot harder to see him move away from the business side of it. You know, like for me, you know, remembering Patrick Elias from the Czech side of things, he went back to uh, Czechia with his family and his uh, his daughters, and he started taking up coaching jobs in the Czech Republic. And Are you there, Joe? So Dana Chara. You know, you never know if Chara decides to go, you know, get an NHL position somewhere. I mean, in the business side. 
You know, I think I could definitely see Chara, though, going into a coaching position because he has that eye. He has that mentality. You could see it even when he was captain with the Bruins. He has what it would take to make a good coach. And I think with all of his experience, all his time around the league, the players respect him, the coaching staff respect him. And so I think for sure Chara is going to be one of those players that you'll see as a head coach in the coming years. Yeah, I can see him, you know, being in the NHL as a coach. I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted something, you know, in a hockey ops type position where he would overlook like the European side or the international amateur scouting where he could go back, you know, to Europe and, you know, spend some time with family, but also do business. And sometimes there are people who want to, you know, scout and then work their way in and become, you know, coaches, you know, like Peter Horacek, you know, at times, you know, when he was a pro scout, he, helping I know and New Jersey so he he's done that before and I wouldn't be, be surprised if history repeat itself and um is it you know I would admittedly say that it wouldn't be too bad if he was to do that I still however think that that head coaching position is definitely where he belongs once he retires uh He's got an amazing future ahead of him, even at such an age right now. And I think he could keep going forward as it is with working in the NHL. I understand entirely, though, if he wanted to go back with his family back home, it's understandable. But it's definitely something that you'd be leaving a lot on the table of what could be. I really like, I really could see, you know, any player of Chara's stature to do what like a Mark Recchi's doing or, you know, like Lindy Ruff used to be a defenseman. Now he's a coach for another go around in the NHL. So you could, you could see something like that and, you know, maybe Chara, you know, adding his own style defense and, you know, working with a GM, saying this is what I want to have. And to me, he inspired defensemen like a Kevin Ball and a Muhammad Doolin at the same time, you know, like those guys are at a minimal of six foot four or six foot seven. And they're monsters. They're both left-handed. And you can just see how, you know, one player inspires another generation of players. Absolutely. There's that definite inspiration there. And I think you could see a lot more players coming forward like that. Uh, you got Andrei Svechnikov even. He's definitely been inspired by some of the greatest goal scorers in all time, including like Gretzky and Lemieux. And you've seen him score goals that you, unbelievable, including some Michigans and lacrosse goals, depending on what you want to call them. And I don't see where he's necessarily going to stop. And I can see where he's then going to inspire another generation of hockey players to do the same thing. Yeah. For 
me, I would think, you know, when we grew up with Alexander Ovechkin, you know, he inspired the Lyonnais and even the Alexander Holtzes. And to mm-hmm. me, what it means to have a high-end player inspire players abroad, you know, in nearby Europe, you know, appeal to them because, you know, they want to shoot the puck a lot. They want to score those timely goals. They want to be that go-to guy. They want to, you know, have the hat trick or something like that. They want to be the go-to guy. Exactly. You got to want to be one of the greats and that's all we can say about it. I mean, um, we could go on and on. I lost you again. But you also cover hockey for? Oh, yeah. Uh, I write for the Overtime Heroics, and I cover about the Carolina Hurricanes all the time. And I'm always... I luckily have free reign to write about whatever team I want here in Canada, too, because I get to report on them live, but my focus is on the Hurricanes. It's one while you see me write about another team or a situation, uh, but... At the same time, I mostly cover the Devils at Overtime Heroics Hockey.net, just like Alex Barcheck. And we're, we're slow. More writers as one or two just joined recently. Yep. And we're also adding in editors as I just got into the role of doing as well. And it's a great time of the staff writer stuff and it's another step up in the in the world of overtime heroics.net and uh we not only have hockey but we also have baseball football you name it they pretty much have it alex you still there yep i'm here yeah, so I guess plenty that's over true. at Overtime Heroics, it's a great place to go read about any sport you want to read about, and a great place to work. And it and it's and you as long for for me it's as long as I hit my six articles a month, you you don't have to worry about too much at the end. But at the same time, we do have our small little obligations to partake. But everything else is pretty good, and you know anyone who wants to write with us. Uh, feel free to uh, message us. Um, Alex, tell them your handles. Uh, yeah, I can be found on Instagram at, uh, well, my first name and then S-X-R-I-C-H-E-T-T-I. Or you can find me on Twitter at uh, A-S-O-R-I-C-H-E. And then feel free to hit us up. Let us know what you're looking for as well. You can message uh, Connor Dempster, who's our uh, head of hockey. And he's always looking for new people to write too. I'm at uh, Joe of Jersey, and that's J O E O F J E R S E Y on uh, on Twitter. And actually, 
no, I drove jerseys my uh, and uh, my God, I'm just now I got a lot of thinking on my brain all this time. <laughs> Coming up with a brain freeze. Uh, Jersey Devil OG is me at uh, Twitter. So at J E R S E Y D E D E V I L O G on Twitter, and I'm approaching my 1,000th follower. So, boo. Yeah. And I'm not a check mark yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not there yet, but Twitter, I don't think, wants me to get certified. <laughs> they, they they keep changing the rules, but whatever. You'll get we'll there someday. Don't you worry. Too, but um, until <laughs> another time, you know, Alex and I will do another podcast, depending on what our schedules do and uh, – Please be safe and uh, just stay classy. Of course. Thanks for having me. Have a good time, guys. Thank you. Have a great one.